Welcome back to another week of Rocky Mountain Surgery. This is Jason. And this is Allie. For this week's episode, I recently met up with one of our co-residents, Robert Torfey, or Bobby as we call him. We talked about our experience as research fellows over the last year. Before we get into that though, Allie, do anything fun recently? So recently, a group of research residents, including myself, climbed to Conundrum Hot Springs. Not really climbed, but we hiked. It's a long, like, eight and a half mile hike up to this beautiful natural hot spring and we backpacked there for two days and then hiked back down and let me tell you that was tough if you've ever seen the movie that came out with kate winslet and idris alba the mountain between us it was basically like that wasn't there a river fording oh yeah episode we did ford a river which unfortunately you have to do after you've hiked six and a half miles uh into your hike up a mountain And on the way there, it wasn't too bad. The river was maybe knee high. But then on Saturday night, it rained for like 14 hours. And so then it became like thigh high fording of the river on the way back, which was quite challenging. But nobody fell in and all of our uh, gear stayed dry. So that was exciting. This in Colorado we call type two fun. For those who don't know (laughs) what that means, type one fun is actual fun. Type two fun is the kind of fun that's fun after the fact when you're telling everybody what you did Uh, so i also attempted to go camping recently and it is the height of camping season and when you try and go camping on a whim in colorado and you go to any of the first come first serve sites you find out that everyone they are all served and their dog (laughs) has served those campsites so we found a nice cabin that uh we rented out right by grand lake which is absolutely incredible part of colorado if you're visiting here it's just on the edge of rocky mountain national park so we were out there hiking and biking and enjoying the summer. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And heads up, Rocky Mountain Surgery fans and listeners, we have a huge favor to ask of you. If you're listening right now, we know that you've listened to at least one or part of an episode of Rocky Mountain Surgery, and we are always looking for your feedback. Because of that, we have a survey that we've put out. It's pretty short. It takes less than five minutes. And specifically, we're going to ask you questions about, like, where are you in your training? Are you an undergrad, a med student, a resident somewhere? You're about to be a resident. And how much have you listened to this and different thoughts that you have um, for ways that we can improve? So if you guys would please, please, please fill out that survey for us, you can find a link to it on our Twitter page or also in the show notes of this episode. All right, guys, and don't forget, you can always send us an email or send us a question to our uh, email address at rmspodcast at alec.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at rmspod. All right, well, with that, let's get to our interview with Bobby. Welcome back to Rocky Mountain Surgery. I'm joined here by one of my colleagues, Bobby Torpy. He is also now a PGY4 like myself doing research. You're actually doing three years of research. My understanding is you're planning on doing a PhD. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, Jason. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I am pursuing a PhD while in the lab. The three-year plan is still to be determined depending on how productive I am with my research project. But regardless, I'm enrolled in a PhD program through the clinical scientist training program here at the University of Colorado. So I've been immersed in that for the past year and a half now. So today's discussion is mainly about 
we've both done research for a year now, so we're going to chat about what that experience entails, how to be successful as a resident who's doing research. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your thinking and obtaining uh, another graduate degree in addition to your MD? Well, knowing that I was going to be in the lab for a couple years, I was interested in pursuing another degree because I'm very interested in doing research as a part of my surgical career moving forward. Being in the lab for a couple years already, I thought it would be a good opportunity to capitalize on that and hopefully moving forward having the PhD that I'm pursuing will make me more competitive in terms of getting funding in the future and uh, really showing my commitment to being interested in science. So going back a bit, I thought it would be helpful to explain kind of the steps of organizing your research and getting involved with research. Because when I was going through the the, uh, residency interview process, I knew that several programs I was interested in now offer or require research, but I still didn't have any concept of what that would involve as a resident. So to start, uh, what were kind of the initial steps into getting involved with research, you know, like finding a lab, finding a mentor, things like that, Bobby? Well, for me, I'm definitely interested in oncology, and I knew I wanted to do oncology research during my residency time. So for me, that narrowed it down quite a bit, knowing that I wanted to choose from a handful of oncology labs. With that being said, you can really do research in any area, in any lab, and make it translatable to what you're interested in, whether it's now or in the future. Um, But I sought out working with a tumor lab uh, to further my understanding of oncology research. And it can be intimidating at first in terms of approaching investigators and approaching other surgeons who do research to try and break the ice and get introduced to what they're studying. But you really just need to be proactive early on in residency, talking to people talking to other residents, and getting your foot in the door. And everyone is very receptive to having residents work with them. Uh, We tend to be hard workers, pretty dedicated in what we do, and that's known by the faculty, so they they want you to work with them. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I felt that it was a fairly informal process of finding a lab and finding a research mentor. There are, most institutions you'll work at have what you would consider an established lab, like the one I'm involved with, which has a T32 grant, which means they have funding for two residents each year, or other labs that have other sources of funding, and so there's residents involved every year. Uh, But there's also opportunities to try and plot your own course if you find the right mentor who's willing to support you with that. And either way, it's a fairly informal process within your own institution, where it's just a matter of approaching them either via email or in person and stating your interests it does help to kind of educate yourself with what they're going, what what research they're involved with to start. And you can do that either with a PubMed search or asking colleagues who've been in their lab before, what they're working on, things like that. And, and one thing that I'll add, Jason, it definitely helps to join a lab who's doing work on a topic that you would be interested in working on, because it's very hard as a resident to enter a lab day one and have your own project based on your own ideas and hit the ground running with that. But what I find to be the best way to approach it is you enter a lab, you have some projects that you can pick up right away that are ongoing, that have been started before you entered the lab, 
and you'll learn through that experience and as you learn more about the lab and what scientific questions you have you can build projects from that and kind of start your own projects alongside these other ongoing projects and that also helps ensure that if you have a couple things going on at any given time odds are the majority of them actually are going to fail so it's good to have a diverse set of studies going on another good way to figure out whether the lab would be a good fit, whether you're interested. M many of the groups will have weekly meetings where they discuss ongoing projects, and they're more than happy for you to attend those meetings. And then you can get a sense of what's going on in that group and whether that sounds like something you'd be interested in. And that was something I did early on with the trauma lab as I started going to some of their meetings because I started thinking that that would be a good lab to, that I would have interest in. And within the first lab meeting, I knew I wanted to spend two years with that group. Did you think at all about doing research at an outside institution like the NIH or, a, you know, a major center of research? It crossed my mind very briefly. Um, we've had residents go to the National Cancer Institute in D.C. and do oncology research there, but I came to the University of Colorado for great training and also because I like living in Denver and Colorado, and I didn't want to pass up the opportunity to spend a couple years here during my research time. Um, so I thought about it briefly, but not seriously. I didn't really uh, go down that route either. My understanding is a little bit more of a formal process, depending on where you go as to the application process, but oftentimes it can be initiated with an email if you know someone that has an area of interest uh, that you'd like to join their group. And then you kind of, we already started talking about finding projects and a good way to kind of hit the ground running, but do you want to talk a little bit more specifically of a good way to have projects ready to go when you kind of make that transition from clinical resident to a research resident? Well, I think the first thing is just being aware of what literature currently exists on whatever topic you're interested in. Um, so reading primary research in your field of interest is the best way to identify projects moving forward because you can't really ask a question until you know what questions have already been answered. So for me, it was just immersing myself in the literature of the topics I was interested in to get an idea of what's been done and what hasn't been done. And to be honest, a lot of manuscripts in their discussion will even talk about questions that still need to be answered. And that can be a good jumping off point in terms of what projects and what ideas you want to investigate further. Yeah. And to take that further, I know both of us have been involved with writing book chapters or review articles, and I've seen instances where research ideas have come out of the realization that there's a major gap in the knowledge when you try to write a paragraph in, the, in your chapter and you realize that there's no data that really supports that clinical practice. That's a great source and also does help you really fulfill or fill in any knowledge gaps you may have when it comes to the research literature to begin with. But it can be hard. I think when I started in the lab, I had a lot of ideas of projects that I wanted to pursue. But the more you immerse yourself in any given topic, you quickly realize that oftentimes there are reasons why a question hasn't been answered. So it can be something that's just very difficult to investigate. Um, so you kind of learn and you get ideas as you go, and you realize some of those ideas are pretty bad, but the ones that stick tend to be good ideas. 
And it's also always helpful to remember the clinical scenarios you've encountered as a resident, because oftentimes there are instances where you're not guided by a whole lot of data. And those are perfect examples where trying to think of a prospective study where you're at least collecting data on outcomes and trying to understand better whether what you're doing helps or hurts. Those are always a great uh, stepping off point if you have the resources to do those kind of studies. What about funding? It certainly depends on what institution you're at or what department you're at or whose group you're working in, but what experiences have you had with trying to identify funding, applying for grants? Is that something you've been involved with as a resident? So I have applied for several grants, and I would encourage any resident entering the lab to go through the process and you know, really make an effort and a priority to apply for grants. From my experience, I haven't had success in obtaining funding for my projects independently, but that doesn't mean that the experience and the learning that takes place from applying for these grants uh, wasn't worthwhile. There are many grants that are available specifically to residents as well as grants that are just open to anyone doing research, but it makes you think about your project before you start in some cases when you're writing these grants. But you also get an idea of what it takes to write a successful grant. And that's a big part of the training uh, during these two years. Because if you want to be an independent investigator, after your training, getting grants is key to that. So I think it's a great thing to do while you're in the lab. But not getting a grant during your research time for the most part, isn't going to be a rate-limiting step. And there is support in other areas. And I think everyone realizes how hard it is to get a grant in today's scientific environment. One of the major benefits I found with writing a grant is it kind of forces your hand to determine your next 12-month plan or two-year plan or whatever the grant funding timeline is. It really forces you to sit down and think where your projects are going to lead next. And so even if the grant doesn't get funded, you have an idea of what projects you want to be working on over the next, you know, X number of months. And I think the other thing I didn't realize is when I thought of grants before starting this process, I always thought of like these big NIH grants, clinical trials, millions of dollars. But there is a large number of grants in between, you know, having no funding and having lots of funding whether they're smaller NIH or uh, state or federally funded grants or even societal grants like surgical societies uh, or even industry grants. But you're totally right. It really does. The the experience of writing a grant is very unique. And if you have any interest in going into academic medicine, the sooner you start getting that practice, the better. And then have you had any experience on writing IRB protocols or animal protocols, things like that? Because each of these, you know, writing a manuscript, writing IRB, writing grant, they all have a different audience and a different, you know, requisite skill set. Yes, I've been involved with submitting IRBs as well as animal protocols. And I think, like you said, it's not IRBs and animal protocols aren't always the most riveting thing to put together. But again, it makes you think through your experiments before you start them. And oftentimes I think that's the the goal of getting these protocols accepted is it you know saves you from wasting your time it saves the university from wasting resources and it's definitely like you said a part of learning how to 
go through the steps required to do research successfully. Uh, you can't just decide you want to do an experiment one day and, and do it. There are steps you need to take to be allowed to do it. All right, so we cut through the nitty-gritty logistics of research. What about, I mean, why is this necessary as a resident? What would you tell the applicant who's looking at lots of programs who comes to an institution like ours where it's either an opportunity or a requirement, irregardless of what specialty they're considering? What, what do, you, do you think some of the benefits are of doing research when it comes to your abilities as a surgeon later on? Yeah, I think you grow a lot during these uh, years in the lab doing research and really you learn the process of discovery and you know investigating a clinical or basic science question because ultimately as a surgeon we're scientists and we're constantly devouring information that's put out there to us in journals in book chapters about how to best care for a patient but you need to know how to read that data and know what's meaningful, know what's good science, know what is bad science, and decide how you're going to best care for patients as a clinician. But on top of that, I really think there's a changing paradigm in the field of surgery where there are less surgeon scientists now than there were historically. And we have a great opportunity and ability as surgeons to have access to patients, have access to tissues, and ask questions that maybe clinicians and researchers in other areas aren't going to ask. So I think we really can contribute a lot to medicine moving forward, and we shouldn't give up on being scientists and being surgeons. Yeah, I think the lowest hanging fruit certainly that ability to analyze research data as it comes out in a critical manner and being able to apply it to your clinical practice early on. Uh, you could certainly wait for the big societal organizations to kind of come down and adopt uh, the research in like a wide manner. But that means you're usually several years behind the curve if you're doing that. Whereas if you're able to keep up on the data, which is hard even for people who have full-time academic careers these days with how much literature is coming out, but especially for the heavy-hitting heavy papers that come out, being able to interpret those and analyze them critically and adjust your practice if necessary in a you know fairly rapid fashion is hugely beneficial regardless of what practice you go into. And then I also think there are some soft skills that you have an opportunity to really focus on as a researcher that in the time constraints of medicine is a little bit more challenging. And so you're frequently working in multidisciplinary teams, much like you would as a clinician. But because the discussions are had over a longer time and because the topics you really have an opportunity to you know, bang your heads against each other, so to speak. You learn ways to kind of manage your expectations and work within a team and manage other expectations and also advocate for yourself or identify times where maybe you take a uh, step back and assist your team, your uh, your colleagues. And those are, are, especially in the hierarchical system of surgery, a little less, the, those opportunities aren't as prevalent, especially today, than they used to be even though they're incredibly important when you look at how multidisciplinary the surgical team is today. I've certainly experienced that. I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. Yeah, I mean, you definitely learn how to work in a different environment than you do as a resident. And I find myself often taking on more of a leadership role in certain research situations than you may as a 
first year or second year resident, but in the lab, you're working with sometimes medical students, sometimes other students. You're working with collaborators who may not have any expertise in the area you're working, and you get to take on a leadership role, and I think it's it's a good opportunity to learn and develop those skills when you you know, aren't under the pressure of trying to take care of a sick patient in the hospital. What's been your biggest surprise so far research, a research life or your research experience? Well, I don't know if it's so much of a surprise, but it, it oftentimes is somewhat hard to believe. But as Jason said earlier in the podcast, we've, I guess, officially now completed 365 days <laughs> as a research resident. And I think we've both been productive and successful, but some of my projects, it feels like I haven't made really any meaningful progress in the past year. But you need to take a step back and realize that you have. It just hasn't gone as fast as you would think. Um, and I know everyone always says it, that you know research is filled with you know failed attempts at things. But it is a slow process, and it's it's good to constantly remind myself and think about the fact that I've made a lot of progress in some regards, but some things do move slowly, and you have to have realistic expectations in the lab. And when things do work, you should be happy and proud <laughs> of yourself, because things not working can be a little frustrating sometimes. I, I had a feeling that was going to be your answer, because I think it's pretty widely shared uh, experience with research compared to the clinical experience. It really does move at like a geological pace. You submit an abstract or a manuscript and it's six months before you hear anything. And you can't really progress that research a whole lot once you've kind of submitted it, even though there's more work to do or, you know, the, you submit a grant and it kind of gets held up for a while and you're not sure what's happening with it. And everything just moves much more slowly than what you experience in the hospital as a resident. And because uh, your success is somewhat measured on how those turn out. Uh, it's a much different experience. And if you're doing a good job in the hospital, you can pretty much just count it by the hour of the day because every day is closer to graduating residency. And if you match in a fellowship, then you've achieved your goal. So it's much different and it can be really frustrating, but you're definitely right. It's just a matter of kind of keeping your eye on the ball and accepting the positives when they come and trying to work around whatever bumps on the road happen. But I've had the same experience. It can be, it can be painfully slow sometimes. And my PI recently asked me if I, what I liked more being in the lab or doing surgery. And, and I liked them both and I love operating. That's why I went into surgery. But one thing that's probably the most different is you get instant gratification in the hospital on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. If you take someone's gallbladder out, you feel pretty good as soon as that case is over. You feel even better the next morning when that patient goes home. In lab, it can be weeks working on an, exper an experiment until you get to see your results. So the, the timeline of gratification is definitely different in clinical medicine and in science, but they're both rewarding in different ways. I think the other surprise... Uh, which I think was probably becoming apparent once I started residency, is the fact that there are many different types of research that you don't necessarily appreciate. Uh, for instance, when I'm an undergrad, I 
pretty much viewed research as you're at the bench top somewhere and that's pretty much your only opportunity to do research when in reality there's clinical outcomes research there's surgical education research with I, which I've started to get involved with there's of course basic science research there's uh, investigational uh, investigational uh, device research investigational device research so there are lots of different types of ways to be involved with advancing our knowledge from a clinical perspective that goes beyond sitting at a test tube all day or growing cells, which I know is what you do a lot with your time. <laughs> and I think if you have that perspective, a wider variety of people will find an interest in research. It's not just about the basic science. And ultimately, all those different types of research do relate to one another. Mm -hmm. You can do, you can be a great clinical researcher and do clinical research while you're a resident or you can do basic science studies and do tumor studies in mice but ultimately they're all related to one another and the goal of any basic scientist is to translate their findings into the clinic so i think using this time to become well versed in all these different aspects of research is valuable because say you want to do basic science research ultimately one day hopefully you'll have a discovery that warrants moving forward into a clinical trial and if you have no understanding of what a clinical trial is or how they're run you'll have to seek someone else's advice on how to do that so this is a great time to learn all the different facets of translational research and you can be in a basic science lab and still do clinical research and i think that's a good way to actually ensure that you'll have a productive and diverse experience while a research resident. Do you have any tips for residents to have success, whether it's in regards to how they maintain their organization as research residents or find projects or collaborations? You know, what, what kind of tips would you pass on? Or what, what would you have told yourself on day one to do differently now that you're a year in? Well, I think one thing that can be a trap that we fall into when we start in the lab is you think you can accomplish a lot of things right away. And I know for me, I started off the first six months and I probably was trying to do too many projects. Um, and then you end up doing several mediocre things instead of focusing on a couple projects and doing them well and making sure you see them through to the finish. So I think always, Keep in mind, you don't want to overstretch your boundaries because to be successful in the lab, the one key is you need to follow things through to the finish line. If you do 80% of a project, but you never do the last two experiments or you never write the manuscript, no one really is going to know or care about the 80% of that project you completed. So you really need to stay organized and make sure you're seeing things through to the finish line. Otherwise, you just end up doing a lot of work that doesn't materialize into anything substantial for yourself or substantial for furthering the, the field that you're working in. Yeah, I think I, what I wish I had done from the very start, or from the very beginning, was start collecting ideas because you don't want to overstretch yourself, but there will be times where you can return back to those opportunities later on. And I started doing this about halfway through and now I have, you know, a collection of, <laughs> it's almost just like a random list of ideas. Uh, but from that, you know, you can always return to those and you'll start to realize that there's a bit of a theme there and they can build to a bigger project. 
And then the other thing I wish I had done earlier on was look for opportunities that have a set deadline, whether that's abstracts for a conference or grants that are due or deadlines for manuscript submissions after an abstract have been accepted so that that can be a great way to prioritize what projects you do in what order. Because the other challenge for, I think, a lot of us who have pretty much only clinical experience up until now or very limited research experience is that it's incredibly self-driven. And so, I mean, you can wake up a day and decide umpteen different ways you could spend your hours that day. And so if you don't have a good organizational method to decide how you're going to distribute your time, projects are going to fall through the cracks until it's too late or you're going to miss a deadline, things like that. And so the earlier you start organizing and determining your deadline and kind of returning to uh, that timeline, uh, the more organized you're going to be. Yeah, I think prioritizing is very important, like you said, Jason, because you can spend a whole day just trying to decide what to do that day. <laughs> and then you realize it's actually too too late in the day to accomplish anything worthwhile. So I started just having a calendar on my desk and I try and on Friday or any day before the next week kind of outline things I want to accomplish on each day because often with basic science research you need to plan a day or two in advance of an experiment you're going to do. You can't just decide to grow a bunch of cells in an hour and do an experiment. You need to start growing them ahead of time and have them ready so that Monday morning you can come in and hit the ground hit the ground running. Um, so that's a good point you brought up, Jason. Hey, growing up in my bathroom, I had wallpaper with a bunch of famous sports quotes on. For whatever reason, the one that I seem to remember is this one. I don't remember who said it, but it was, uh, never save a pitcher for tomorrow because tomorrow it may rain. That really does apply to research. There's always something to be working on. And for instance, if you wait days and days to order supplies and then you go to order it and you realize, oh, it's going to be a month before it's ordered well, that was four days you just lost. That otherwise maybe it could have come sooner. Uh, so yeah, organization is hugely important. It can increase your productivity significantly. Now, Allie and I try and highlight this with each intro and we talk about something fun we did, but there are some other benefits outside academics to doing research years. Bobby, what, what are some things you've done outside a lab uh, that you may not have had an opportunity otherwise to do uh, if you hadn't had these two years? Well, you definitely have more personal time when you're in the lab than as a surgical resident, mainly because you're in charge of your time. And I think the best way to think of it is you may work the same amount of hours when you're in the lab, but you're in usually complete control over how those hours are dispersed, divided when you show up, when you leave. Um, so in terms of things I've done that maybe I wouldn't have done while a resident, uh, I definitely exercise more. So I've gotten more into road biking. I used to primarily just run because that's pretty quick in terms of getting <laughs> a workout in in a certain amount of time. Whereas road Especially biking, for Bobby. road biking, I think you it's like you know you could ride a bike for four hours and that's the same as running for one hour. So I've gotten more into that. I've also taken up fly fishing. I'm not very good so i i don't consider myself a fisherman i just say i go out casting because i rarely actually catch anything but i also got engaged too so i'll be getting married while i'm a research resident so it's nice to have the ability to you know plan a wedding and be away for a couple weeks without worrying about 
everything going on in the hospital. Yeah, so my fiance and I also got engaged over research over the last year. Uh, my fiance and I made a conscious decision to do the, the family tour this year. So we went and saw all our family around the holidays and spent quite a bit of time with them so that they understood when I'm back in clinicals. And of course, Courtney has a full-time job that that was going to be kind of a unique opportunity. And so research, uh, research time affords you that opportunity as well, which can be pretty unique. Uh, and then certainly you have an opportunity to enjoy new hobbies. Like Bobby talked about, I also got into cycling and we go camping more now and play more hockey, but you're absolutely right. It's just a very different mindset. So you can do a lot more work from home or from a coffee shop. It's not dissimilar from, you know, that senior year of college where you have more self-taught, uh, lectures and things like that. But then we also have opportunities to moonlight as residents. I think this is fairly common across the country as well. And, uh, Bobby, what has been your experience with moonlighting or do you want to explain a little bit of what that's like? Yeah. So we can moonlight in several of the intensive care units during our research time. So the surgical ICU, the cardiothoracic ICU and the burn ICU. And I was very eager and excited about moonlighting as much as I could right when I started in the lab and I've slowly realized that it's a great opportunity. Um, but for me personally, now I try and do it just on weeknights. So I spend a day in the lab, get what I need to do done. And then I go spend the night in the burn ICU typically. And some nights you don't really get to sleep, but other nights you get to close your eyes occasionally. And then the next morning I come in and work in lab some more. So it can be a little tiring. Um, and for me personally, I'm, I enjoy my research. I'm trying to get a lot accomplished. So I don't like moonlighting to take away from my research efforts, but the way it's set up here is you can moonlight more frequently or less frequently. And it's nice to get a little bonus in your paycheck and save a little bit for retirement or for whatever hobbies you want to use it on. Uh, and also it's nice to keep your skills up a little bit. So putting lines in in the ICU, taking care of critically ill patients, it makes me a little bit less worried about going back to working in the hospital once lab life is over. Yeah, I think I speak for all of us when I say we, we somewhat miss the hospital and we'll probably eat those words day one of our three year where we're back in clinicals. But you do appreciate being in the hospital more and being a practicing physician again when you do those moonlighting shifts. And it is a little extra bonus in your paycheck and you do have an opportunity to keep up your skills and kind of remind yourself of intensive care practices and whatnot. So those are great opportunities as well. All right, Bobby, anything else you think we should share with our listeners about research opportunities, tips, pointers, what's great about it, what you are surprised, anything else? I guess one last tip I would like to share is if you're listening to this prior to residency or if you're listening to this while you're looking at different residency programs, one thing I I think I overthought while I was in the application process was, does this particular institution or that particular institution have a specific project or a specific lab that really speaks to me and gets me excited? Uh, just by looking them up online. But there are so many opportunities at any given campus that aren't obviously apparent when you're just Googling that hospital or clicking through their website. 
Um, so there are opportunities everywhere as long as you're proactive and seeking them out. Um, so I, I wouldn't overthink the research pro process when you're still several years away from it. I couldn't agree more. There's always an opportunity for new research experiences to present themselves, even once you've started your, your research time. So it's great to keep an open mind and you never really know what's going to fall on your lap. Well, Bobby, thanks for joining us on the podcast. We really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the podcast. All right. All right.